Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to season two, episode 38 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. This is going to be quite an episode. I'm joined behind the microphones by Dr. Mark Costas, and we spend some time with Rachel Wall. Rachel is the founder and CEO of a company called Inspired Hygiene. Many of you know her. She has been on the lecture circuit for well over a decade, done phenomenal work with predominantly solo uh, practices across the United States. I have a vast amount of experience with her going back to my Patterson days. That being said, she started to make quite an impact, or she and her team have started to make quite an impact in the group practice space. That's emerging groups that are doctor founded and debt funded, all the way up to some of the big brand names that are private equity backed. Honestly, I kind of overlooked the hygiene department. I know I'm guilty of overlooking things just like some of you are. There is a lot, a lot of untapped potential in your hygiene department for you general dentists out there. Rachel's gonna unpack a wealth of information. This is a fun interview between me and Mark and Rachel, and we cannot wait for you to hear it. So buckle up, get your popcorn ready for another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dentalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Costas. All right, guys, I got two really special people on with me today. Um, one of them you guys know pretty well by now. That's Perrin Desports, who is the co-founder of Polaris Healthcare Partners. And I also have Rachel Wall, RDH, who's the CEO and founder of Inspired Hygiene. Now, this is going to feel like I am uh, spending a lot more time introducing Rachel because she's only been on one other time before and Perrin's been on many times. So if you guys haven't heard from Perrin before, then um, just go back and search his name in the archives. He's been on several times on the podcast, multiple time guests, and that's for good reason. He's got incredible information that he shares with our audience. But a little bit more about Rachel. Uh, she's the founder of Inspired Hygiene, a coaching firm focused on elevating hygiene services, systems, and profits. Inspired Hygiene strives to help dental teams achieve a triple win for healthier patients, empowered and engaged hygienists, and a profitable practice. She's an award-winning educator, author of the book, Return to Hygiene, and has spent the last 30 years serving the industry as a clinical hygienist and hygiene productivity coach. Welcome to the podcast, both of you guys. How y'all doing today? Doing awesome. Doing, Thank you. Doing great, Mark. Good to be back with you and great to be with Rachel too. Um, I've, I've known Rachel for the better part of 25 years now. And I think this is the second or third podcast we've been on together. She's a pro and it's a lot of fun for me to be back with her and certainly to be with you. So thanks for having us. 
Yes, of course. Rachel, I just got back from Croatia with a mutual friend, Dr. Chris Bowman. Um, that was an incredible trip. I got to spend some really, really good quality time with him and Elizabeth. And we had, we had a blast in your name actually did come up a couple of times. So, uh, so yeah, well, you were with us in spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the pictures. That was about as close as I got to that. And I, <laughs> I immediately texted him. So yeah, I've known him for almost 20 years now too, which is pretty crazy. So yeah, it's good to have mutual friends and colleagues. Yes, for sure. It is a tiny dental world, as we yes. all know, uh, especially when it comes to people that actually get up on stages and do the circuit, quote unquote, the circuit. Yeah, um, it's it's a small uh, collective of really, really cool people that I've been blessed to, to get to know over the years. Uh, but Rachel, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about the history of Inspired Hygiene. And uh, and then I want to kind of I'm going to dig into some some of the um things that are happening, the dynamics that are occurring right now in the hygiene world. And I'd love to get your, your take on that. But first, a little bit about your background. Yeah. So uh, graduated from hygiene school in 1991 and um, had some interesting contrasting practices that I worked with. First practice was old school, small town practice. You know, the doctor would come in and do the exam, would write the fee on the ledger card and the fee was different for everybody. And I didn't know why, and it was not my business, right? So I went from there to a practice in Chapel Hill that was uh, had embraced the kind of new age of dental consulting that was in the early 90s. And, um, you know, the opposite was true. Like, we knew just about everything about what was happening in the practice from a financial standpoint, from, uh, you know, the doctors really invested in us from a clinical standpoint, technology and all of that. And it really kind of sparked an interest in me um, to, you know, how could I be a part of that practice improvement? How could I take what I learned in those different situations? And so, uh, practiced clinically really until, um, just maybe five or six years ago, I actually wow. practiced at Dr. Chris Bowman's office for nine years. Mm -hmm. And, um, as I was building inspired hygiene, so worked with another hygiene, uh, group for a couple years, had some amazing mentors, uh, and then started Inspired Hygiene in 2004 and was just me for many years. And um, and then, you know, the word kind of got out and um, we started growing. And now we're really fortunate to have a support team and then also have a coaching team as well that goes out across the country and works with our, our client practices. Awesome. What's your footprint yeah. right now? How many coaches do you have traveling? We have about five right now okay. that are traveling. We've been in 45 states. We've worked with practices in 45 states. Wow. So um, that's pretty exciting. I'm proud of that. And yeah. it's cool to be able to just see what's happening in practices. And what I always tell folks is we're all more the same than we are different, right? We have very similar challenges, you know, your clients, your practices, the, the practices that we all get an opportunity to peek into. Um so I think that there's some value in that collective knowledge, right? That the, we get to gain from those, those experiences that folks are having and, and our own experiences as well and, and get to share that. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to risk going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I promise okay. if the rabbit hole goes too deep for either one of you guys, I'll pull us back out of it. Okay. But um, we, we're all still kind of reeling from the last three years, the pandemic um, kind of shook yeah. us as a profession quite a bit. And I have to say, as the owner of still four dental practices and, and somebody that speaks to hundreds of dentists every single month, uh, one of the things that has not snapped back and is still quite different than it was pre-pandemic is this 
hygiene relationship with dental practices, dental practice mm-hmm. owners, and the way that hygienists practice and interact with us as dental practice owners has changed. I don't know forever, um, but significantly to the point where many of us are still surviving with, um, with temporary hygienists, um, much like in nursing, uh, there's a lot more money in temporary hygiene than there is in permanent hygiene for a lot of people in a lot of different markets. Um, so what say you about the current state of hygiene and how hygienists are viewing working in dental practices? Yeah, so that is a pretty deep rabbit hole. And I'll be the first to say I don't have all the answers. You know, I, I get emails all the time asking if I have kind of a stash of hygienists, you know, in my basement or something like that. They have to be somewhere, Rachel. Yeah, they have to be somewhere. Where do they go? Where do they go? So there was a good, I think by the most current stats, there was 15 to 18% of hygienists that completely left the profession. Uh, I think that's probably pretty accurate, if not higher than that. And then that's not even measuring the number of hygienists that reduced their involvement in the, in the profession, right. And going to, you know, cutting back days and things like that. Um, I think we're fortunate into, we've been able to see all of the above. You know, we, uh, we have a client that I spoke with a couple of weeks ago that um, had a hygienist that was ready to go. The, the hygienists that were there existing that were, had been with the practice for a while, felt really good about her. And then the next day she gave her letter of resignation, right? So it's, it's like you take two steps, three steps forward, and sometimes you take one step back. Mm-hmm. So we've seen all of those different variations. We've also seen hygienists that are really committed to their practices, and they're excited to be where they are. And I think some of the things we're going to discuss today are uh, supporting that type of culture and that retention of hygiene. And um, I think that there are some hygienists as well that have been out there and have maybe hopped around to a few practices and finding that it's the grass is not always greener mm-hmm. where there's more money, right? And yep. we've even had clients say, I've had hygienists call back and say, I'm sorry, I left. Um, you know, and the position's filled now at this point in this particular practice. So yep. uh, that's starting to happen. Um, I think there is in different areas, it's always different, um, whatever week, you know, we're dealing with, but I'm seeing some improvement as far as availability and also willingness to, you know, work with the practice. And, um, what we're telling our clients is you have, just like you have to be competitive in the dental market for patients, you've got to be competitive for team. You can't just rest on your laurels and expect everybody to think that you're a wonderful practice. You've got to really show team members what, what, what you can provide for them and not just, it's not just financial, it's also culture and just uh, flexibility and different uh, pieces of that puzzle that we're finding are really making a difference. Yeah. I love that. So what do you attribute then to the 15 to 18, maybe higher percentage of hygienists that have not come back to the job market? Is it just, is it just burnout? Is it, you know, the quiet reflection that we all had when we were sitting at our homes uh, and and realizing that patients are, are difficult and there's an easier way to make a living? Why, why aren't they coming back? Yeah, I think that there's a combination of the two, right? The quiet reflection. Um, I don't think it's any secret that the gig economy, you know, as it, as Gary Vaynerchuk calls it, is a real thing and that people are finding alternate ways to make a living. They're finding alternate ways to live without, you know, the income that they thought they needed to have. I think also, you know, I, I, I'll i say that in the beginning of the pandemic, what we saw was 
um, when there was a lack of communication from the leadership in the practice, uh, there was a, it was directly related to a lack of retention of team. But I'll tell you too, there's been some practices that the doctors are great leaders in their team. They've got, they've had team members that leave. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's that I do think it's burnout. I mean, let's be honest in, in most practices, the hygienists are running through the schedule. They're, they're trying to get from one person to the next. And there's probably not a lot of fulfillment in, in doing that. They've got, you know, we have our favorite patients that we can't wait to see that day, but then the majority of the others are just, you know, one patient after another. So it is a career. I think, uh, from my perspective, I mean, uh, you know, I, I've experienced that as well. And what I did was I had to look inside me and figure out what can I do to help me love my profession again. And that's, that's not always easy, but yeah, I think it is a career that has a high probability of, of burnout. If, we don't really look at it honestly and dre- address some of those things. And that's a responsibility of, of the hygienist. Uh, but there's also an element of responsibility from, from the leader as far as the culture and what, what they bring to the team members there too. Yeah, that's interesting. I would, uh, would kind of echo those, those thoughts real fast. I mean, sure. because you know, I think it's the, uh, the confluence of events born about by the pandemic, right? I mean, we all... My God, the last couple of years have been beyond stressful for everybody. I mean, yeah. in, in every profession, in every walk of life, every parent, every family member, it seems. And and work has been no respite from that. And so, you know, you get people who are just kind of burned out is the right word, sometimes scared being in a healthcare environment. And yeah, they have true. enough either investments or cash or, or whatever sitting on the sideline where they feel like they can afford to pull the chute. Now, with the economic downturn a little bit as it relates to the market overall, there are a lot of people who are also re-entering the workforce. And that's not just in healthcare. That's across the board. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me to see some people coming off the sidelines in this endeavor. But I think the key thing to, to operating a small business if it's culture driven, if it's, you know, employee engagement, employee engagement is 24 seven. It's not, you know, on an annual review, right? Yeah. I mean, there are things that you just got to do on almost a weekly basis. And the other thing is, if you're building a growing business, and I know we'll get into this in the group context in a little bit, but if you're building a growing business, recruiting is a 24 seven endeavor. I mean, if you're not, if you're recruiting based on need, that's... um uh, that's going to be a challenge to keep that thing glued together. And whether it's hygienists or associates, every bit as you, mar- as you market for new patients, you need to be recruiting for key providers in the business. Don't turn that engine off. Hey, Doc, do you want to accelerate your learning curve on how to build an elite level business? Get ready for the most in-depth, comprehensive strategy training for growing and scaling a group practice and DSO. We here at the Dental Success Institute are thrilled to collaborate with Polaris Healthcare Partners on October 5th through the 7th for the Scaling from Clinician to CEO Summit to be held at the Sheraton Denver Downtown Hotel in Denver, Colorado. Get real-world tactical information on growth strategies to buy and build systemizing and calibrating group practices, legal structures for scale, DSO marketing and analytics, banking and capital structures for growth, culture and alignment, and much, much more. 
The founders of Polaris, Perrin Desportes and DeWalker Sinha, are some of the most knowledgeable and accomplished DSO strategists in the industry. And they are my trusted go-to advisors for all things related to DSOs. Seating is extremely limited to only 150 attendees. Visit PolarisHealthcarePartners.com to register and save your spot today. PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Look forward to seeing you in Denver. Yeah, Perrin, uh, I heard you, you know, I came and saw you speak at at the DSI event a few months back and and I heard you say that. And I think that's going to be one of those you know, new rules that stick. I mean, you, you have to be continually recruiting, even if you don't, I mean, I've started doing that now, you know, for my business. Um, and just always having folks that you're building relationships with and you're talking to. And, um, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's one of those things that we have to adopt for the long term. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like about your philosophy, Rachel, is, that it is possible to increase patient volume. It's possible to increase the health of the patients. And it's also at the same time, increasing the profitability for the practice. And a lot of people just think that that's just, it's just, it's impossible. If we're going to spend ample amount of time building these relationships and getting patients systemically healthier, then mm-hmm. it's just a lost leader. We have to dis- decide that's or right. we have to choose one or the other. How do you execute and how do you train dental offices to do all three of those things, make the patients healthier, see more patients and become more profitable without deteriorating that, that patient experience and like the team experience. There's mm-hmm. so much going on there and so much, so much to try to do in an hour visit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think first thing, let me address the seeing more patients. So yes, it is possible. We have to get creative in that regard. Mm-hmm. And what, what I think is really important uh, to clarify is uh, I feel like the volume of patients have have come from, uh, you know, delayed treatment, you know, maybe patients that were out of care altogether that have decided to come back and, you know, into our industry. And at the same time, coupled with, you know, a lack of hygienists. So there's more volume and there's less, there's more demand and less supply. Uh, But what we're not, not, none of us are talking about like just cranking up the volume to, you know, 11 on the volume of patients. So, so I just want to get that clear is this is not a turn and burn conversation that we're having here, but, but I think your question is when we are seeing those increases in demand, how do we still keep our systems in place? How do we still deliver high level care? So you kind of nailed it. I mean, that's, that's been one of my mantras for the last few months is hygiene can either fall back into being a loss leader uh, where really it's just a way to get the patients in the practice. And we really don't focus on the quality of that hygiene experience and how that drives the patient through the practice. Um, or it can become a legacy lever. So when we're talking about contributing to our patients' overall health, mm-hmm. that's where we really have an opportunity to leave a legacy as far as a practice that's making a difference in our community, making a difference for our patients. And so there are a couple things that go into that, a lot of doctor-driven, you know, leadership tactics. And and really one big piece of it is that the doctor has to be a clinical leader. Um, you, you, you want to collaborate with your team and we facilitate and encourage that with our clients. However, you can't abdicate 
the role of clinical leader to your team. Um, and it's not okay for, uh, it's not okay for the team to not follow the clinical philosophies of the leader. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens a lot. And right now, a lot of leaders are afraid to call anybody out on that because they're afraid that they're, they're going to leave. Right. But Sure. Do, do, is it riskier to do that or is it riskier to have patients that have undiagnosed disease and who knows where that's going to go? Sure. So yeah. one thing is having a really strong clinical leader. Um, the other thing is, yeah, getting creative on how are we looking at our scheduling? How are we reserving time on our schedule to have to give that high level care? And what we're seeing right now is a lot of practices that don't even see any light of day in their hygiene schedule for six months. And so what we're telling them is like, you've got to prepare now. You've got to prepare now. You can't wait for six months for this schedule to magically just fix itself. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you've got to, you've got to really have control of the schedule and create a system that's going to support, you know, high level diagnostics. And then the next piece is having really clear standards of care and systems in the hygiene department that, um, that support the commitment for the whole team to what the hygienist is doing during that hour. And there's, um, so you probably heard of this thing called Parkinson's law, right? The task will expand to fit the time that is allowed. Sure. So that's, it couldn't be more true with scaling right during a hygiene visit. So if, if I just say, well, I've got 45 minutes, right? I checked the medical history and we've got to have the doctor exam. I'm just going to scale until that time is up. Then there's never any time for anything else. So instead, we've got to put the diagnostics first and then we have a limited amount of time. And what that limited amount of time for that scaling often reveals is this patient needs something other than a prophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Okay, so what I, what I did take away from a, a portion of that answer was that the doctor has a big part in creating this philosophy. So absolutely, that philosophy needs to be executed by all people on the team, particularly the hygiene department. So when you guys uh, paint us a picture, when you guys come into an office, that doesn't mean that the doctor can say, okay, you guys are in charge of the hygiene department for the next three days and I'm going to go and produce some dentistry. They have to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. They have to be a a participating part of the conversation because they're the clinical leader. And and we've seen this particularly with groups, uh, right, where they're asking us to calibrate between locations Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the clinical leader uh, doesn't show up. So that makes our job pretty hard, right? It's like, okay, who's who's making the decisions here? Um, And and you've got to be willing to walk your talk. So the clinical leader not only has to be there to help make decisions. I mean, it's a collaborative process, right? A standard of care. You don't want to dictate, uh, you know, here's what it's going to be. You've got to discuss and you've got to give the team an opportunity to say, okay, here's what I'm concerned about. But yeah, I really agree with this piece. Just talk it through and then come up with agreements on what is this standard going to be. And then that clinical leader, they've got to support, they've got to support those standards, so they've got to support those hygienists in executing that. And that means backing them up when they have a patient in the chair that maybe is the doctor's, you know, best friend uh, from college that happens to come in. And all of a sudden the hygienist is telling them, hey, they've got active disease. We're recommending therapy. They got to back them up, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and when it comes to uh, having the business team put in these, you know, put in blocks for priority care. They've got to back it up. So they've got to be able to to back up all the pieces that support 
yeah, whatever that new initiative is. How often are you seeing that there is no perio protocol or standards of care and um, there is underdiagnosis happening in, in, a, in dental practice? So I would say our clients, we still are seeing clients that come in that have, um, I would say, 5% or less perio per percentage. So if we're looking at, yeah, it's surprising, but it's still there. But, yeah. you know, the good thing the good thing about it is they're reaching out. They're recognizing it, right? So you got to give them credit for that. Sure. So we're still seeing that. Um, and then we still see clients that come to us and say, hey, we're at 20% perio. But something's there's room for improvement here. You know, maybe they want to incorporate some adjunctive services. Maybe they have some new hygienists and they're not all on the same page. And one hygienist is kind of carrying that because they just don't have any any written systems. I will say... Um, it's super rare for us to work with a practice that has any type of written period. I would say 10% or less have some kind of written perio protocol. And wow. it's something that they probably did with a hygiene consultant 15 years ago <laughs> and it's there, but it, and they recognize like, okay, we, you know, half of my hygienists weren't here then and we need to kind of re refine this and bring it. So sometimes we take what they've been doing and we just kind of bring it to, you know, 2022. And sometimes we're starting from scratch. Yeah. Do you find that? Well, let me let me just put it. Let, let's put it this way: Is it um, beneficial to the doctor for another hygienist to come in and say, "Here's what we believe the perio protocol should be," or help me write this perio protocol with the doctor's philosophies in mind? Than a doctor coming and speaking to a hygiene department of three to five hygienists and saying, this is the way we're going to do it now. Um, yes. Because there is a separation there, right? It's, it, the hygienists are thinking, you're not sitting in our what chair you know? every single day. Um, right. So I think there is a benefit to some outside party coming in and saying, hey, look, here's what we see around the country. You're not alone. Let's look at this from a different angle. Are they more open to that, do you find? They are more open to that. And um, yeah, we hear one thing we hear a lot is maybe the doctor does that and says, okay, and the hygienist say, we don't, we don't need outside help. We can do this ourselves. And, and it rarely works, right? So that rarely results in a thriving hygiene department with a thriving active perio program. And it's not because they can't, they can't do it. They, it's just hard to see the forest for the trees, right? There's some obstacles there. And sometimes the hygienists are not the obstacles right? Sometimes it's the practice administrator or the doctor mm -hmm. and they can't fix that. Whereas when we come in, we can have some open and honest conversations with them and say, here's what we're observing. And doctor, are you ready? You're asking for this. Are you ready to step up in your role to make this a success? And we can do that as an outsider where sometimes the hygienist can't do that. Um, it is helpful. And we work really, really hard to make sure that the way that we're presenting ourselves and the way we're presenting the work that we've been asked to do by the practice owner. Um, we work really, really hard to make sure that it's a positive. It is, it is put forward as a positive experience. We look uh, really hard for the things that are working well in the hygiene department already and to build on those things. So we're not coming in there as a wrecking ball. We're coming in to build on what you already have, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there are some doctors that's that, say, you know what, I want to have a really proactive approach. Maybe they've done this, you know, already 10 years ago and they have a foundational period program and they say, we, we need to get more proactive with this. We need to add adjuncts. And there are some doctors that say, you know, we're just not serving our patients the way we need to. Uh, we have no period protocol. 
can you help us do this, but in a way that's conservative? And absolutely, absolutely. We try to meet them where they are. And that concludes part one of my discussion with Rachel Wall and Perrin Desports. Make sure you guys tune in tomorrow for the conclusion. Take care. Have a great day. Well, that was a lot of fun, and I hope you got a lot of information out of it. And more importantly, I hope Rachel gave you um, a couple of different ways to think about the untapped potential in your hygiene department. That was uh, an interview that I learned a lot during the process. You probably gleaned that by the way I reacted to a couple of things that it was relatively unscripted between me and Mark and Rachel. We knew what we wanted to talk about to make it coherent, but we kind of let the conversation evolve. And she is a pro's pro. Uh, and like I said in the interview, I have known her going back to my Patterson days. She and her husband, uh, Matt, live here in Charlotte. They're friends of mine uh, and have been for uh, quite a long time, like I referenced. But I got to see up close and personal some of the, I'll say some of the results of the work that she did with some of our customers at Patterson. And now I'm starting to see more of the impact she's making for some of our clients here at Polaris and across the United States and other uh, groups as well. So uh, a wealth of information and a true resource. I would want to echo one thing, and that is that I'm extremely excited about her and Inspired Hygiene being a sponsor for our Scaling from Clinician to CEO conference. So for those of you who are going to be joining us in Denver, you'll get to meet Rachel up close and personal, get to interact with her. And I think you'll be hearing more from her uh, as the days and weeks uh, go on and into next year. We'll do a lot more with Rachel because I think we're just scratching the surface with her. I want to take uh, one more second and recognize two other sponsors of the conference that you may or may not be familiar with. And there are two law firms that are our silver sponsors, the Burr Foreman Law Firm out of the Southeast and Escal Law out of the Northeast. Um, Escal, uh, Jonathan Escal, the founder and principal behind Escal Law, law has been in the dental space um, uh, for a number of years now. You all probably know his name. He does transaction work and corporation work and everything else in between. Um, and has, has really made quite a name for himself. We've done some uh, a good bit of work with him on the transaction side uh, here at Polaris, as well as with a couple of cl uh, clients on the uh, formation and entity and uh, associate equity side. Jonathan is unbelievably sharp, really responsive, uh, high personal touch, uh, and, and a great resource, really, um, for our clients. I'm excited that he is going to be um, not only a sponsor of the conference, but Jonathan's going to be speaking. Uh, and I'll get into that in just a second. Burr Foreman is a larger Southeastern firm, a very much multifaceted firm. They are actually our corporate counsel here at Polaris. So <laughs> you could say we know these guys, we know them very well, and we you could say we've had a lot of experience with them. <laughs> but not only do we refer them to clients, but we are a client of theirs. Um, and that's probably a story for another day. <laughs> that being said, uh, Eric Doring, Lance Lawson, and the guys at Burr Foreman uh, are incredibly sharp. Uh, Eric is going to be speaking also at the conference. And Eric and Jonathan, both being attorneys, are going to take two different facets of the conference here, in terms of subject matter, at least. Eric is going to be talking about legal structures. And when he put his uh, outline for the deck together, um, 
I was blown away. I've seen a lot of legal presentations throughout my years in this space. Um, and, and they're all good. They're informative and they're all basic. Eric's is m- almost more like a how to, this is probably one of the most comprehensive presentations I've ever seen. And for those who are going to be attending the conference, you're going to want to save his presentation as a reference manual. Um, it's very thick, it's dry as legal subject matter typically goes. That being said, um, he leaves no stone unturned and it'll be a, a great resource for people building a group. You're going to learn a lot in this presentation, but you're going to refer back to it frequently moving forward. I really appreciate him, uh, putting on that piece of the conference for us in terms of legal structure and, and what I'll call formation. Jonathan Escal is going to take uh, associates and associate equity. Um, that's buy-in, that's earn-in, profits, interest, restricted stock. We're going to go through a lot of the nuts and bolts around that from a legal context. I'm going to share a little bit about the mechanics around earn-in, but we'll do some of that presentation together. Uh, and, and I think that'll be great from Jonathan because he knows the subject really, really well. And then Jonathan and Eric are going to do a panel about where partnerships fail. We always talk about, you know, associate equity partnerships. We talk about uh, merging with other, uh, uh, you know, practices or groups. Um, but, you know, and everybody wants to think about the great world beater business we're going to build together. And all too often, people don't really think through um, where where there's friction and where partnerships don't work. And I can tell you, having come out of one that that didn't work or, or at least that I felt like I, I needed to exit, that DeWalker and I did, um, that's really challenging. It, it's challenging financially. It's challenging from a time uh, investment standpoint. It's challenging from an emotional standpoint. And um, if you can if you can learn some of those lessons before you enter into one, you're probably going to be better off for it. And I, I can't wait for Jonathan and Eric to share some insights into what they've seen uh, all across the legal landscape in their years uh, at the conference too. So again, those three uh, presentation pieces on the the law side of things are going to be phenomenal. Really appreciate Escal Law and Burr Foreman uh, being the silver sponsors for our conference and uh, being partners of ours here at Polaris. For those who are still interested in attending the Denver conference, there are still seats available. Um, move fast because it's uh, it's filling up rather quickly um, and, and we expect it to sell out. We also expect it to be Um, a wealth of information for the people who do attend. So I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing all of you there. And I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And I really, really appreciate from the bottom of my heart, all of you being listeners and subscribers. Thank you for the ratings that you're giving us. Thank you for the comments and the compliments you're giving us. It really matters a lot to us. And and we're grateful and very appreciative. I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.